Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. We're getting started in our, our fourth uh, part four of Family Matters. And today we're going to be talking about finding clarity. Hey, Lauren. Oh, don't be saying that on here, Lauren. That's so inappropriate. Um, <laughs> team Ham. Um, we we are start. Uh, we are pretty much wrapping up our series about family matters, and we've gone through a lot, and we've been really just following the lineage of some of the major patriarchs of our faith. And we went through Abraham and his wife Sarah. To, uh, you, we looked at Ishmael's interaction with his family. We went through the life of Esau and how how jacked up that was between him and uh, him and his parents and his brother. And then we looked at Jacob and how confusing it was for him in his life. And today we're going to be looking at three people um, as we wrap up this series. And I really pray that as we look at these three stories that it gives clarity for people in this moment where it's like the week of uh, walking into Thanksgiving, seeing family members you may not have seen for a long time. Uh, Hey, Angel, I see you tuning in. What's up, man? I love you, brother. Miss you. Um, And I really pray that just really today that we find clarity by removing um, some really big blinders and fogs that have blocked us from connecting with our family. I feel like this uh, this whole month I've been really just hounding on how boundaries are good, that as Christians we don't need to be a doormat or a punching bag, even to our own family. And um, today I, I want us to just have a, a look at our lives and seeing where we can salvage and reevaluate connections that we've been missing. Um, hey Matt, it's good to see you hop on too. I hope you're doing well. Love you, man. Miss you. Um, and so we're going to be looking at three specific stories as we go into um, these areas in our families that we end up getting stuck on. And so the whole theme today is finding clarity, and we want to get unstuck on the things that we've been stuck on when it comes to these issues in our family. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture today, but rather than saying scripture, I feel like it'd be more appropriate to say that we're going to really go through a lot of stories today. And so stay with me. We're going to start with the story Um, with a person named Dina, and we're going to talk about how she was so forgotten while her family focused on fixing instead of healing. And that's the the first first one that we're stuck on is fixing, when we get stuck on fixing. And being the fixer of the family will cause you to lose connection with them. Everyone has either seen the interaction of the fixer or been the fixer themselves, And what happens is you lose connection with the family that you keep trying to fix. Um, Let's look at a story in Genesis chapter 34 verses 1 through 7. This is Jacob's daughter and he has like a dozen kids by now. And they, they settle in this land of Sheshem and look what happens in this part of the story. It says, One day Dina, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the young women who lived in that area. But when the local prince, Shesham, son of Hammer, the Hivite, saw Dina, he seized her and raped her. But then he fell in love with her, and he tried to win her affection with tender words. 
He said to his father, Hammer, get me this young girl. I want to marry her. Just real quick, if I could just point out a little free note that has nothing to do with family issues, but everything to do with toxic relationships. This fool literally raped this girl, attacked her. I mean, that's a that's a aggressive, a aggressive attack that he did and then try to win her affections with tender words. Please tell me somebody that you are looking back on some really toxic relationships or a relationship you're in right now where they verbally abuse you, physically abuse you, just belittle you even, and then try to win you back with tender words and, and sweet words. Say, baby, you know I wouldn't uh, ever do that. You know that I love you. That's what this fool is doing. And so let that be a red flag right there that you need to get out of that toxic relationship as fast as you can. All right, now let's go back to the family issues. So we see what this fool did to her. And then he says, get me this young girl. I want to marry her. Soon Jacob heard that Sheshem had defiled his daughter, Dina. But since his sons were out in the fields herding his livestock, he said nothing until they returned. Hammer, Sheshem's father, came to discuss the matter with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Sheshem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, something that should never be done. Another side note, anyone that, that has, tries to pull scripture out of context and say that the Bible condones things like rape, that's asinine. Even in this, this, this story that is showing just a brutal, uh, a brutal situation that happened, a real situation that happened, then and still happens today, it says that something like that should never be done. Jumping down a couple verses, it says chapter 34, verses 24 through 26, same story. So all the men in the town council agreed with Hammer and Chesham. What had happened was, is that uh, Dina's brothers said, well, we, we can't let her marry your son because you guys aren't circumcised. If everybody in the town is circumcised, then we can let her uh, intermarry and we can give our daughters to yours and yours to ours and we can just engage with the town. And, um, and so what they did this deceitfully to trick the whole town into all the men to circumcise. And the Shesham and his father Hammer uh, convinced all the people of the town saying, by the end of this all, we're going to end up owning everything they have because... Um, they're going to marry into our family. So we ought to do it. And so this is where we're at in the story. So all the men in the town council agreed with Hammer and Shesham, and every male in the town was circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, who were Dina's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every male there, including Hammer and his son Shesham. They killed them with their swords, then took Dina from Shesham's house and returned to their camp. A couple of verses down, it says, Afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have ruined me. You made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Pedazites. We are the, so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. But why should we let him treat? Our sister, like a prostitute, they retorted angrily. And so we have a crazy situation that just uh, unraveled before us in this story. These dudes literally went through the whole town and killed every man there for raping one girl. 
Do you see the the biblical anger against uh, womanizing and, and something like rape? The whole town was killed because of this one man's uh, act of wickedness. And so I hope that, that that really personifies how disgraceful something like that is. Now, going into the idea about fixing, I I personally feel like the reaction of Simeon and Levi was mildly appropriate. I mean, but what what I want us to focus on more is is not what they did, not what other people did. I want us to focus on what happened to Dina. Dina is like the unspoken person in this story. She doesn't get one word in this entire story. And everything just keeps happening to her. And what it makes me think about is family members that we know that go through intense situations. And that's honestly like what they feel like. Maybe it's, it, whether it is or isn't rape, it is things that happen to them that are intense. And it feels like things that just keep happening to them. And the part about this story that I have a big problem with is that these, these brothers of hers are fighting out of position instead of compassion. They are so focused on trying to fix what happened that they cater no emotions to Dina at all. In fact, they even send Dina back into Shechem's arms in order to carry through their plot. It just shows that there's so much more focus on trying to fix rather than actually connecting in with Dina in this super vulnerable time. And I feel like when it comes to our families, when we take a step back, that's, in, that's what happens is that we, we end up focusing so much on trying to fix the problem that we take away the humanity of the family relative that, that is going through something. And, and this, this fixing mindset that we get into, it lifts up our pride. It makes us feel like we're in control. It makes us look like uh, that people can come to us. And it just really builds up our pride. Even though it can, it can seem like good intentions, like we want to help, I feel like what it often does is that we sometimes find temporary solutions that don't last very long and then become frustrated that we have not fixed the situation and then we put it back on the person and say, well, it's your fault that it's not fixed yet. I did what I could, but now you need to do something. And the truth is we, we take away that connection with that person when we try to play God, when we try to play the Savior. I'm not trying to say that we don't help our family members. Of course we do. But this idea of trying to fix everything, it just doesn't work. And I want you to look at uh, what, these, what these boys did. Is that they, it's almost like they got to a point where they cared more about the idea of someone doing that to their sister than they did about what actually happened to their sister. And they... It's like, how could you let our sister be treated like that? And when you even look at Jacob, he, he's in that same mindset of where when he, uh, when he figures out what the boys did, he, it goes back to, you ruined me. How am I going to fix this for me? And it's just, a, it's like no one cares about Dina, the person, but just the idea of, oh, we can't let that happen to our family. Uh, we can't be labeled like that as a family. And I want you to look at the idea of, 
um, relating it to, say, depression. Depression was, is one of the most common things that families experience um, in, within family members. And oftentimes when there's that, that fixing mindset where I'm going to fix this person that has depression, often they get to a p- point where it seems like nothing works. And it start, you start making uh, comments or uh, sentences that something along the lines of, well, you just need to be happy. Well, wh- what's wrong? And the thing with depression, I mean, real depression, clinical depression, is that there, sometimes it's unexplainable. And when you're trying to fix something that has an, no explanation, sometimes it's literally a chemical imbalance. It, it, will, it will make you lose so much connection with that family member as you're trying to fix something that it's not your place to fix. You can be there for that person. You can try to help support that person, be someone to lean on, talk to, listen to, whatever. But when you try to fix it, that's where you start losing the connection. I hope this makes sense in what we're saying. Because like I said, being the fixer of the family will often cause you to lose connection with them. Now let's look at the next person, that next story we're going to look at is with Rachel, who got lost in living in constant competition with her own family. And the second stuck that we get stuck on is competing, stuck on competing. Competing against your family blinds you from special moments and valuable relationships. In Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 through 9, we see we, we're going to take this story off with Rachel, who is married to Jacob, and coincidentally and weirdly enough, also uh, her sister Leah is married to Jacob. Two sisters married to one man. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> um, and what we see is a situation where Leah was having children, but Rachel could not have children. Now, that's, that alone is something so tough to deal with. But we're going to look at how this, this, this desire that she had turned more into a competition than it did about becoming a mother. In ch- chapter, 34, uh, chapter 30 of Genesis, starting in verse 1, it says, When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God? He asked. He's the one who's kept you from having children. Then Rachel told him, Take my maid Billa and sleep with her. She will bear children for me, and through her I can have a family too. So Rachel gave her servant Billa to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. So just storing up all this complex problems here. Bilha became pregnant and presented him with a son. Rachel named him Dan, for she said, God has vindicated me. He has heard my request and given me a son. Then Bilha became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have struggled hard with my sister and I'm winning. Meanwhile, Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore, so she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Now, jumping a couple, uh, jumping later into the chapter is where we're going to finish this story. But before we do, I want you to see how this competition between these two sisters of whose life is better is is causing them to lose valuable relationships. 
out of insecurity and they're losing sight of truly special moments. First off, Rachel and Leah were sisters their entire lives. I mean, when you look at sisterhood, sisterhood is something special, just like brotherhood, and it's incomparable to anything else. And they, they went from having a strong bond to being completely divided against each other because of competition. It, she, she, when the minute she started this competition, she lost the relationship with her sister. That's what competition does, is it causes you to lose those relationships. The other thing that, the other kind of relationships that it made them lose is even the relationship with their husband. I mean, even this, this moment where she, uh, it's causing fights between her and her husband, not because she just wants to have children, but because she's jealous of her sister. And I mean, if we, if we were to compare this to say not having children, but when we look at just like simple, uh, keeping up with the Joneses and people are always competing with one another, whether it's, um, the newest car, the better house, a bigger TV or whose body is better that all the, man, I can't believe she just had a baby and she already looks like that. And, and you end up getting fights with even your spouse because you are jealous and competing with somebody else. I, Maybe you, not even family, just someone you, you barely know. This competition causes strife, even with people you're not competing against. And then it also brings uh, uh, so much disconnect to where now they're, they're involving infidelity to a whole greater, greater level. I mean, we, it, it's one thing to look at what Rachel did, said, well, use my maid as a surrogate so that I can have children through her. It's a whole nother issue when Leah does it for the only reason to try to have more kids than her sister. She had, she had a lot of kids already. Like I could barely handle my two. We got a third one on the way. I'm pulling my hair out just thinking about it. She already had a good amount. And she's like, well, I need to have more just to beat my sister. And so she involves infidelity just to try to compete with their sister. So they're losing connection with their 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 husband all over the place they're making this this frankenstein of problems all out of competition and now when you bring in the kids dude they're naming their kids out of their competition this will be dan because uh, the i've strived i have uh, i've struggled against my I, this child is brought vindication against me and my sister. This child will be Naphtali because I struggled with my sister and I'm winning. They're literally naming their kids out of the competition. I mean, this is psycho. This is crazy. And this is how much competition will just blind you from having authentic uh, relationship and connection with your family members to where you lose complete sight of, of family. And it's all just about whose life is better. And now let's jump down to the final act of this, this idea of competition. In chapter 35, we see this part where Rachel was a, finally was able to conceive and she gave birth to Joseph. And now this part of the story, she ended up conceiving a second time. And, is about, uh, and now we're taking off where it says, Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on towards Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense 
After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. This is this, one of the saddest stories I feel like is in scripture. Rachel competing with her sister on who could have more kids dies while trying to have more kids. It, it, it's almost like when she names him Benoni, son of my sorrow, what, what I resonate with is her saying the sorrow of me trying to live a life of competition not as much about it's like in this moment of realization like like all i've i've worked towards is actually killing me everything that i've competed for is now the thing that's actually killing me and i'm not saying that benjamin didn't have a purpose or anything like that i'm not trying to say that but it's just like a realization just mentally to where she realized that she was focused on the wrong thing and i can only imagine how this was for leah I mean, remember, they've been competing this whole time where they couldn't even see each other as sisters anymore. And I can just imagine her pacing back and forth outside of Rachel's tent and hearing her scream and, and cry. And she's like, she doesn't have birthing hips like me. You know, making those ugly comments that we make, you know, and just thinking that, like, I, I can't believe she's still trying. I'm still going to have more kids than her. And just being so critical, still in that competing mindset. And when she finally hears everything stop, and instead of being happy for her sister or thinking like, oh, like, what's, uh, what's she going to name the baby? She still has her arms folded and the midwife comes out. She's like, well, how's she doing? What's the baby's name? And, the, and then just telling her, Rachel died in childbirth, but the baby's name is this. And I can only imagine the sobering moment for Leah of realizing that she had wasted years that she could have had in close connection with his sister, but she was blinded by, the, by competing with her instead. She lost that sisterhood moment forever. And that's what I want to, that's the, the whole heart of this message is to reevaluate some of the relationships we have. And look, is this strife that I have with this family member really worth it? Is this a boundary to protect me or is this a wedge that I put up unnecessarily? Because there are connections that we could be having that don't need to be wasted like this. And Leah never got a chance to hash things out with her sister. She never got a chance to just make things right. And they wasted the true, pure connection that they could have had. I... I really hope that this is resonating with you because not only did they lose their relationships, but they lost special moments. I mean, the moment of becoming a mother, that's a special moment. And instead of being happy for each other, they were at odds. The moment of even just being a mom for these kids and imagine how disconnected these kids felt in this completely dysfunctional family, knowing that their moms cared more about competing with their sister than they did actually being a mother to them. That's deep, dude. That's so deep. And it only breeds uh, insecurity, it only breeds like just trauma. And so I hope that we look at this and can look, examine our own lives and see, man, I don't need to spend 
my family's energy, my family's good life on competing when I could have something so much more special. Now, the last thing I want us to talk about is being stuck on envy, stuck on envy. And we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at Joseph's life and we're going to look how he was rejected and trampled on because of the jealousy and envy of his family. And Envy will destroy your family relationships and leave you only with regret. Envy will destroy your family relationships and leave you only with regret. I feel like when I say that word envy, that we're stuck on envy, most of us, I feel like, automatically think to ourselves, oh, well, I don't have that problem. I'm not envious of anyone. I'm, I'm fine. I want to project to you that, that this is probably one of the biggest ones that people deal with. The envy is where people make comments like, oh, well, he can afford it. He has money. See, that's a, that's, a, that's a little note of having envy in your heart. That impulse of, well, they got that. That impulse of, I deserve what they have, but whatever. Let's look at more in depth. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 2 through 5, we're looking at the life of Joseph, still following this lineage um, this is a, the, the same family with Dina, the same, uh, same family with Rachel this is all in the same lifetime. Genesis 37, two through five, it says, this is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended, tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilha and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father, some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now pause for a second. Anyone that knows Joseph's story, what, what I've heard a lot of preachers say is that Joseph was a tattletale because he would tell what his brothers were doing. Notice that it says some of the bad things that they were doing, meaning that there was a plethora of bad things that they were doing. And what I see is that some of the bad things he was reporting his, uh, to his dad were things that he just couldn't get off his chest, things that would were... Uh, convict his conscience to a point where he's like, I, I can't keep this in. This is like too far. Okay. Continuing on, it says Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream and we told his brothers about it. They hated him more than ever. And so I want to just kind of unpack these emotions that are being portrayed. Joseph, at this point in the story, hasn't done anything wrong. Joseph still hasn't done anything wrong. And everything that, it's like he's get, just getting gifts, like this colorful robe. He didn't do anything to, like, he didn't specifically ask his father for it. It's just favor, like he just he just happened to get it, and and then all of a sudden he's just like talking about a dream he had, you know all of these things he has not done anything necessarily wrong yet, but all of this spite and anger and hatred is coming against him. See that's what happens in families when you just see that one lucky family member. I mean, when you have that one family member that just seems lucky. And you start thinking to yourself like, well, I don't know why they got that job. I work harder than them. Well, I should have had that, that opportunity. Well, I don't know why they got to go to college. I was always smarter than them. You know, you make little comments like that. Those are all impulses of envy. 
And so continuing in the story, it says a couple verses down in 18 through 20, it says, When Joseph, uh, Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. Joseph was going to check on his brothers like he would always do. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what comes of those dreams. Now, I want to pause here and I want to just say that I don't think that his brothers were wholeheartedly like serious about killing them. It's kind of like one of those things you joke about like, yeah, we should kill him. Imagine. And then everyone thinks that that's serious and they're like, yeah, yeah, we should. And the person that originally said it was like, I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And I feel like this was actually an impulsive idea that got out of hand. And what I related to is how many times have, have, if you've ever been in a relationship, especially if you're married, and one comment goes way too far and turns into a fight that lasts all day. <laughs> and this is what I see this part of the story to where it's like, that one comment that just really got out of hand. And this, this is just a really good just side note of how much we need to communicate better and watch our tongue to where we don't say things that we're going to regret. Because we often get impulses of anger or spite that's motivated by envy or whatever. And we say things just like without discretion and then we run on it. We just like keep we just keep going with something just because we said it. So now going a couple of verses down, it says, So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum and balm, aromatic resin Gilead, from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. We, instead of hurting him, let's just sell him to these, those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And all of his brothers agreed. And this is a moment where Joseph was sold into slavery and uh, spent his, this whole life of having to just be in, in so much pain and injustice and so eventually God blessed him to be pretty much a leader of Egypt um, but uh, to where his brothers in the future end up having to go and ask him for forgiveness and ask him for money uh, for, uh, for food and Joseph forgives them and all that. So before just closing this story, I want us to unpack what's going on here. I, this is, again, why I really feel like they were just talking out of their rear ends and going with it. Because they threw Joseph in the cistern, and then they just start eating next to it. Like, cutting up and probably talking trash to Joseph as he's crying. And, you know, just acting, you know, and it's almost like they don't even know what they're doing at this point. And all of a sudden, it goes from, we're going to leave him in here. It goes from, we're going to kill him, to we're going to just leave him in here, to... Let's just say sell them into into to these Ishmaelites. We we ought to just sell them and see how it just kind of like you see this trend of not really knowing what to do from here and it escalating into this that and the other. 
that's what happens when we live by our impulses instead of being uh, instead of being sober minded and rationalizing what we're actually doing and rationalizing why we're doing it if we are so prideful to where we get into these fights with our spouses and our family members to where we just go we continue to fight with them just because of our emotions think about it how many times have we kept a fight up with our spouse with a family member for days weeks maybe even years and you don't even really remember what it is that started it you just remember that what the way they made you feel do you see how asinine that is that we are literally letting an emotion dictate our lives and our relationships rather than using our mind to actually comprehend and think of what we really want or what's actually healthy for us or our relationships. And we allow that one emotion of bitterness to go all the way to divorce just because of one fight or one comment that we've just let get way out of hand and go way too far to where even when people are signing the papers to get that divorce, even while people are are rejecting the call or choosing not to text back with their family members, they are deep down, people literally feel like I want to, but I can't. And that, that feeling of can't is just based off of this feeling of what they did and you don't even remember what it is. Guys, this should not be. We cannot allow ourselves to live off of impulse like that. Now, talking specifically about envy, just like we're talking about all these other emotions of bitterness and anger and just living in the, the feeling, the emotion, envy will make people do crazy things that go against logic and humanity. Envy will make you go against logic and humanity to where, say, you have that family member that you're envious of and it's that one that you make comments like, well, they can afford it. Well, he has money. Things like that. To where that family member you're envious goes through a hard time. They get, they get into a wreck and they have to they end up having to pay out of pocket. It's just a horrible situation that where if it happened to you, you'd be devastated. But because it happened to them, you're like, well, they can afford it. You, you, and you take out the humanity of that family member because of your grudge. And, if you, and you can look at it in so many different aspects but when we allow envy to control us, it, we, it's one of the biggest wedges of connection uh, between us and having actual family. And it drives you to act on impulse rather than reason. It surrounds your mind with entitlement and self-justification. These boys, these brothers, felt so entitled to everything Joseph received. Joseph hadn't done anything necessarily great to receive it but he didn't do anything wrong to be treated the way he did and so that idea of just feeling like well i should be getting it it should be me dude you need to take it up with your creator and and you need to stop allowing that idea of entitlement and envy to control your life because there's so many times where it, it starts in our families but ends up going into every aspect of our life to where you're at the workplace and you're jealous of every single person that gets a promotion instead of you, a raise instead of you, and the common denominator is you. And, and you can't be happy for anybody else, but it seems like everybody else is getting something more except for you. 
we, we need to do a, a reevaluation and, and be happy for other people being blessed instead of feeling so envious that we think, well, it should have been me. Even people at church, it's like someone will get a new car and instead of being like, oh, that's awesome. You're like, you just think to yourself, well, I should be getting a new car. It's, it's ridiculous. And what often happens is when you act on envy and this impulse, dude, guilt and regret and unfulfillment will follow you the rest of your life. These brothers of his, they, they, never, they never felt fulfilled. I feel like when you follow their story, they were the most, they, they're just so unfulfilled in their lives compared to Joseph. Everything bad happened to Joseph, yet at the end of his life, he, he truly seemed fulfilled in who he was. He didn't have any regrets. He didn't have any guilt. But his brothers, even, even, uh, even though Joseph openly forgave them multiple times, they never really believed that he had forgiven them because that guilt they carried was so strong for what they did. And if you allow envy to control you, if you allow impulses of emotion to control you, you're going to just rack up so much regret and so much guilt. And even when you are forgiven, you won't be able to shake it off. And so I, I urge you to have a reevaluation and look at some the family members that you've distanced yourself from. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times where we need proper, healthy boundaries from family members that are just simply toxic. And they, they, they just inflict wounds on you. And they hurt you. They treat you like a, a punching bag or a doormat. There's some family members that they did something so, so horribly wrong to you that you weren't even... It was just such a selfish impulse that they did to you that I would, I would say that you probably don't even ever have to talk to them again. That I, I've heard some crazy stories. But what I urge you today is to reevaluate the family members you're not talking to or that you have these grudges against, the ones that you have all these comments about, and reevaluate and, and pray, God, is this something justified? Or is this something, is this just something that I've been blinded to and I need to reevaluate and change because there's actually a healthy connection that could be salvaged in this relationship? All of these things that we talked about today, trying to be the fixer, com competing, and envy, these are things that blind us from amazing potential with family members that are accessible and unique to you in your life. No, no other, like family is something so unique because everybody has family, but no one has your family. And we can find clarity to see these special moments in our families, to see these special people in our families by choosing not to get stuck on these unproductive life suckers that we get stuck on every year. Reevaluate and address some serious things in your family because you might be missing out. It, you might be missing out. And I want us to, to close in prayer. And I want you to just pray to yourself. And, and guys, I really want you to just ask God, what do I need to reevaluate with my family? Thanksgiving is coming up. Some of y'all are going to be seeing family members that, that you don't want to see. Some of y'all are already have contemplated of making reasons or excuses to not show up just because you don't want to see specific family members. Now again, the, t the ones that are healthy boundaries, 
I'm not trying to tell you to see somebody that treats you or belittles you uh, in, in such a horrible way. I'm talking about the ones that you can honestly look at. You even have, just have a nudge on your heart that you need to reevaluate that wedge or that, that, that grudge. That's what I'm talking about. Pray right now and say, God, is there something that I need to look at? What family members are you trying to talk to me about? And do I need to get unstuck on some issues that I've been holding against them? Are there things that I need to change in my life to better connect with my family? Is there really a possibility of authentic, good, healthy connection with family members that I haven't been connected to? I want you to just pray in your own words. Pray whatever you got to say and just talk to God about your family. And as, as we're all having that mindset and doing that, I also want you to think about your, whatever, your, what, whatever your relationship was with God. And I want you to have a reevaluation of, is there anything that I've been stuck on that has kept me from being closer to Jesus? Is there something that I've been stuck on that has blinded me from getting closer to God? And maybe for some of you guys, you, you, it was a childhood experience. Maybe you grew up in church and it made you just not want to have anything to do with God. And that's been because of your experience. It's blinded you, been a fog for you for, from being able to get closer to God because you just couldn't imagine it because of how you were treated or an experience you had. But there's something in you that's just urging you to try Jesus out. Not, not trying the whole church thing out, but trying Jesus out. Church... We can worry about that later, but just trying God out. Pure relationship with Him. It's the most important one. And I, I strongly believe that the things that we go through, if we hold it against God, I feel like we unjustly hold things against Him. Life is not perfect. Our, our experiences are not perfect. And the only reason, that the number one reason that we should believe in Jesus is by faith that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. If he just died on the cross for our sins and didn't raise from the dead, then we should not believe in him because it means that it was a nice gesture. It was like poetic, but it wasn't real. But the, the idea of really believing that Jesus rose from the dead meant that he really literally made a payment for our sins on the cross. And if you believe that, and... and I believe there's so much historical evidence, so much logic that, that we can talk about another day, but there's so much evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And if you believe that, then that is a starting point. Even if you have some issues you need to bring to, to God, you need to have a conversation with Him, and that's done through Jesus. And if you're at a place where you say, I really want to reevaluate my relationship with God, and I, I want to try things out, I want to I want to start something or restart something. and Maybe I just want to take a step in this direction and see what God is really like. If that's you, the Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the one that died on the cross and rose from the dead for our sins, it's pretty much saying if you, if you talk to God and affirm that you, that you believe He is who He says He is and are, are authentic about it, then that's all you have to do to start this, this relationship, 
to start this journey of walking with Christ. And so if that's you, I want you to pray something along the lines like this. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and for the sins of the world. I see that as a big act of love, and I want to understand that love. I believe that you rose from the dead three days later, and I want to know what it's like to be in a relationship with you, God. Help me to understand your ways and help me to be sensitive to your voice. Jesus, I want to walk with you and I want to start something from this moment. Let this be a real decision, Jesus, and help me as I start this new journey. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that with us, dude, please connect. Church it is a place that we can find God, yes. But I feel like the, the reason that God invented church is to be a place to find community and connection. Because you can find God anywhere. You can find God at home, by yourself. You can talk to Jesus whenever, wherever you want. And you don't have to connect with God at church, even though it's a place where we do that. But church, it's a, it's a one place where we can readily available find a community of like-minded faith, of people that are all going through different walks and journeys, but are all trying to do the same thing. And it's something special. And so if you've not been a part of a home church before, maybe you've tried church out and you just got really like burned and it's even intimidating for you to try it again, we would love to, to be a ch that church that you try out again. Gravetop is a place where we, are, we really strive to be down to earth and we really strive to do our best and forget the rest. No one is perfect. And church is about being able to walk through this journey together, living transparent lives to where we don't have to try to pretend like we're someone we're not, but that we're just real with one another. And so if Gravetop is, is something like you can see yourself trying out, please message us, shoot us a text, a message, email, um, call us. We would love to just connect with you so that you don't have to do this journey alone. With that being said, I'm so grateful for each of y'all being a part of this message tonight. Um, thank you for connecting with us on Church uh, Grape Top Church Online. And if you have it on your hearts to give today, you do make a difference in your giving. You help us to continue to move forward uh, as Grape Top Church, and you make a way for us. And we want you to know that we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when you didn't feel any... Uh, uh, any emotion to give. We believe that giving is something so personal and it is between you and God. When the Holy Spirit unctions us to give, that's a special moment. And God forbid it would be uh, me trying to pressure you to do something that the Holy Spirit didn't tell you to do. But when the Holy Spirit does motion on our hearts to give, it is such a rewarding experience to connect with what God is doing. And so with that being said, if you do have it on your hearts to give today, you can go to gravetop.com, click the Give tab, and you can give online that way. You can also give through third-party apps like Venmo or Cash App, and you can give that way as well. With that being said, I'm so grateful for each of you guys. I hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. Um, let us know what, whatever you do. If you go with the turkey or the ham, I'm pretty sure we're going to go with the ham, um, even though it's you know untraditional, but as Gravetop Church... Uh, we're not very traditional anyway. We love y'all. I hope y'all have a great rest of your week. Good night. I hope you enjoyed the message today. 
If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.